Well, thanks, Steve. Appreciate that. How's everybody doing this morning? Very good. Great. Awesome. Hope you guys had a, a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. I ate way too much. And uh, yeah, that never surprises me. That's kind of like, a, you get like a free pass on Thanksgiving, I feel like, right? It's like the one day out of the year where gluttony is totally acceptable. So, awesome. And the Buckeyes won yesterday, so that's pretty good. Yeah, very cool. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad they won because uh, if they didn't win, then, uh, you know, I'd have that going against me. So, <laughs> didn't want a bunch of people bummed out about losing the game. So, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out. I was watching the score on my phone. So, I didn't get to kind of watch it, watch it, but I got to watch it from a distance a little bit. So, so anyway, my name's Clark, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, I would love to meet you and your family uh, sometime uh, before you take off here this morning. But uh, um, I've been on staff here, a leader on staff, uh, for a little bit over five years now, and it's been such an honor and a privilege uh, to be able to be a part of all that God has been doing here at the Grace Church uh, Medina East Campus. love uh, being able to uh, learn under uh, Pastor Seth and Pastor Tony's leadership. They're uh, amazing guys, and uh, I, just, I just love what God is doing here, and it's been so great just to, to meet a lot of you and hear your stories, and so uh, seriously, if we haven't met, uh, come say hi to me, come tap me on the shoulder. I'd, I'd love to get to know you and your families a little bit, so I'm excited about today's conversation. Uh, we're going to get into it uh, in a second, but I, but I thought, you know, I'm not up here teaching a lot. Sometimes I'll do the announcements every once in a while. So I thought I'd uh, show you guys a picture of me and my wife. Uh, this is uh, me and my wife, Amanda. We got married uh, last uh, year, uh, June 23rd, 2017. I got to get that right because she's watching. So, so we got married last year, and uh, we don't have any kids yet. But uh, uh, here's another picture, by the way, of us dancing. And uh, so we like to dance, and uh, it's pretty disturbing to see a big guy like me dancing around. But uh, anyway, um, this picture, I, don't, I was asking her for some pictures, and I was like, uh, babe, do you have any pictures that I can, you know, show the congregation? I don't really teach a lot, so I want people to kind of see that I'm a person, and, you know, I have, a, I have a real life. It's not just all church all the time. And she sent me this one, and uh, I, I don't know why, but when I see my face in this picture, I think of the, uh, the Marshmallow Man from Ghostbusters. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't know why, but that's, that's just what I think of when I look at that picture, so... So anyway, I just want to make fun of myself a little bit, but, uh, but that's us, and if you see us in the cafe, come say hi to us, uh, hi to us. we would love uh, to meet you, get to know you a little bit. So anyway, we're going to be uh, starting a, a new conversation today. Um, it's actually uh, one part of a three-part conversation. So if you're just now uh, kind of joining us uh, today, you're actually jumping in on a three-part conversation we're calling Uncomfortable, Unleashed, Unstoppable. And, uh, you know, this is really what we're calling a, uh, you know, a life-changing, heart-shaping journey uh, that we've been on, and we've been trying to unpack this uh, one uh, big statement that we've been saying throughout this conversation. And I actually want to invite you to say this big statement uh, with me as kind of a way to recap and kind of review uh, what we've been talking about thus far. So here it is. And uh, I'd like to invite you to read that with me. One, two, three. When the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, it unleashes the power of God, and we join the unstoppable movement of God. Very good. Awesome. You guys did a great job. Uh, so this is what we've been talking about the past uh, several weeks, and we spent a couple weeks already uh, talking about what it means to do uncomfortable things uh, for God, and the people of God do uncomfortable things for the uh, 
uh, people of God do uncomfortable things uh, for God, it unleashes the power of God in and through our lives. And we've talked about these first uh, couple unphrases. So if you missed any of that, you can get caught up on our website. Uh, we've got a message tab, and we also have a podcast you could subscribe to if you missed any of this conversation. Uh, but today what I'd like to do is to step into this uh, third part here, unstoppable. And I want to look at uh, what does it mean to join the unstoppable movement of God? And the way I want to uh, kind of jumpstart this conversation with you guys this morning is I actually want to ask you a question, and here it is. What comes to your mind when you think of the word church? What comes to your mind when you think of the word church? Now, I know when I throw that question out to you, there's probably a lot of different images and different thoughts that come to your mind. Uh, My guess is for some of us in this room... You know, you grew up in the church, and you have a lot of injected presuppositions of, of what church is. There's a lot of thoughts that come to your mind. Maybe for some of us here this morning, uh, you know, you, you didn't grow up in church, and so maybe this is your first uh, exposure to church, coming to Grace Church, and maybe you have some, some thoughts and some opinions, images of what comes to your mind uh, when you think of the word church as well. So some of us have had, you know, great experiences, some good, some maybe not so good For example, maybe when I ask you this question, uh, you think of this. You think of the annoying church. And when you think of the church, you think of a guy on the side of the road with a sign that says, Judgment Day is coming, or some sort of protest, some sort of, you know, person that uh, basically it's the church being known more for what it's against rather than what it's for. And so it's a pretty straightforward view of the church, right? It's not a very attractive view of the church, but maybe that's what comes to your mind uh, when you think of the word church. Uh, maybe for some of us, you think of the isolated church. And uh, when you think of church, you think of you know, a group of people that are kind of uh, have a separatist mentality, right? And they're trying to hide and find shelter uh, from the things you know, that would you know, tend to, you know, the evils of this world. The, the picture that comes to my mind is uh, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. I don't know if you guys watch The Simpsons at all, but basically this is a guy who's an overly nice Christian guy, but also overly protective. And so he wants to protect his kids from the reality of the evils of the world. And so maybe this is one of the views that come to your mind uh, when you think of the church. Or maybe you think of this. It's not the annoying church, the isolated church. Maybe the picture that comes to your mind is this one. It's the irrelevant church. And, you know, this is the view where if you ask somebody, you know, what do you think of the church? You know, you wouldn't have really a bad opinion or a good opinion of the church. You'd really have no opinion at all. It's where you look at the church and you see all this church stuff and you kind of ask yourself, what does this have to do with where I actually live and breathe? Where I actually live and breathe in my day-to-day life, how does any of this stuff correspond or connect with me? And I'll just be honest, when I grew up uh, in the church, you know, this was kind of the view of the church that I would subscribe to growing up. And uh, if somebody asked me, like, Clark, what do you think of church? You know, I wouldn't be like, yes, church is great. Or I wouldn't be like, yeah, church is lame. I'd probably be like, I don't really know. I mean, I don't really know how it connects to me. I really struggled uh, growing up to see the significance and the relevance of the church. Obviously, I'm an advocate of the church now. I'm on staff at a church, and I believe in the church, and we'll get to that. But the reason I bring up these three views is because maybe you can identify with one of these, or maybe at one point in time you could. And so the reason I tell you that is because I want to invite you to look at a passage of Scripture with me today 
And I think what we're going to be able to see together is we're going to kind of let the Bible speak for itself. And my hope is that we're going to see not an annoying church, not an isolated church, certainly not an irrelevant church. My hope is that we're going to be able to see an unstoppable church. And it's a church uh, that Jesus actually talks about. And it's a promise that Jesus Christ makes over 2,000 years ago. And uh, it has uh, profound implications if we can grab a hold of the truth that we're going to look at this morning. So what I want you to do is I want to invite you to grab your Bibles if you have them. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we always say this, if you don't have a Bible, you know, go ahead and uh, take one of ours. Uh, we would love to make that um, a gift from us to you. So either a happy belated Thanksgiving or a happy early Christmas, however you want to interpret that. We think it's important for you to own your own copy of the Bible. So I want to invite you to do that. Um, and as you're turning there, I just want to pray for us and ask God to lead us and guide us in our conversation today. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for uh, everybody here, and Lord, I know that, uh, you know, everybody here's got a story, and God, I don't know what everybody's uh, going through right now, and I don't know what kind of Thanksgiving uh, people had, whether it was a good one or a bad one or, uh, or what, but you do, and, and you're, the, you're the creator of, of everything, and uh, you know everybody here, you know everybody's story, and uh, so Lord, I pray that, you know, as we uh, look at this passage together, uh, that, that your word uh, would, would speak to the hearts and minds of, uh, of us here. And, uh, you know, I know your word is, is more powerful than anything that I could say. So, Lord, I just pray that as we look at this, that your word would, uh, would really speak uh, to us this morning, God. So uh, we just want to lift up the next 30 minutes of our time together to you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, cool. Uh, let me give you guys kind of the background of Matthew uh, chapter 16. Uh, so when we get to this chapter of Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus has been doing some miracles, he's been doing some public ministry, and Jesus is starting to get a reputation. And uh, he's with his uh, 12 disciples, and he gets, uh, they're traveling along the, the Jordan River. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, here's what we see. It says this, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? I want you to just notice something there in the text. Uh, there's this uh, region that's mentioned here called Caesarea Philippi. And, uh, you know, maybe you could circle or underline that in your Bibles. Uh, this is significant uh, in the text because this was a, an area that was uh, commonly known uh, for just its spiritual darkness and just the evil things that would take place there. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is actually uh, located about 25 miles uh, north of the Sea of Galilee. So uh, this is a place that uh, you can go to. You can see it today. Uh, you can notice from this picture that there's a cave there. Um, and it's been said that uh, water used to flow uh, from this cave and uh, the thing about Caesarea Philippi is that this was known uh, for a place where there was, uh, uh, you know, pagan worship. There was a Greek god uh, known as Pan, and uh, this was a fertility god. And so um, a lot of times what would take place here is people would uh, engage in this uh, fertility rituals, everything from, uh, you know, orgies and self-mutilation and all kinds of family fun activities. And so they would uh, engage in that kind of stuff there, right? And... Uh, they would have these five or six shrines where they would uh, worship this uh, false god, uh, Pan. And uh, on top of all that, uh, you know, this fertility god, Pan, he looked a lot like this. 
And so this is kind of where we get our uh, modern-day image for Satan, kind of like the horns, uh, that whole deal. And uh, if you've seen the movie Pan's Labyrinth, uh, this is also where they get the imagery for Pan and Pan's Labyrinth. Um, and, uh, you know, this is obviously, you know, pretty, pretty disturbing. Uh, this is also where we get our modern-day image for, you know, a weird guy playing a pan flute. So, so anyway, Jesus brings his 12 disciples uh, to this place, Caesarea Philippi. Uh, he's been with them for about, you know, you know, a few years now. Uh, it's getting close to the time of their graduation. And he brings them to, you know, this place that is most uh, spiritually dark, most, uh, you know, most the evilest place around in the first century. And the question is why? Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus bring his 12 disciples to this place? And I believe the answer to that question is right in the text. I think Jesus wants to ask the 12 disciples a question. In fact, I think he wants to ask them a couple questions. And so let me show you what I'm talking about. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? And so Jesus just asks them. He says, all right, guys, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me, right? You've seen my miracles. You've seen my public ministry, right? What are people saying about me on Facebook and Twitter? And so he just throws that question out to them. And notice the way that they respond to him. Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, and so some of them, if you know anything about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was kind of this guy that uh, announced and prepared the way. He was like a forerunner to prepare the way for someone else to come. And so the disciples, they looked at Jesus and say, well, some, some people th- say you're kind of like John the Baptist. And still others say you're kind of like Elijah. Others say, Jesus, you're kind of like Jeremiah. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he was a uh, Old Testament prophet, and he was known for uh, to be the weeping prophet. He had a message of doom and gloom. It was always very depressing. He was always telling Israel how they were getting it wrong, how they never got it right. And so the disciples, they looked at Jesus and they say, well, some people think you're kind of like Jeremiah. You're like this guy with this message of doom and gloom and repentance and always telling people how they're not getting it right. And so Jesus responds to them. Notice what he says. He says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? And notice what Simon Peter says in verse 16. He's kind of the spokesman for the 12. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know, this would have been a pretty profound moment in Matthew's gospel. This would have been uh, the first time, you know, that anybody uh, acknowledged uh, Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And so look what Jesus says. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He uses his full Jewish name. He says, For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And notice what happens next in verse 18. Jesus essentially says, Okay, you told me who I am. Now let me tell you who you are. And here's what Jesus says, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter. And the word Peter actually means uh, Petros. It means rock. And he says, and I tell you, you're Peter. You're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And uh, notice what he says here. He doesn't say, you know, I will build my hospital. That's not what he says, does he? He doesn't say, I'm going to build my school. Jesus doesn't say, on this rock, I'm going to build my social club. 
Jesus doesn't say any of that. What does he say? Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, what's the word? Say it with me. Church. He says, I'm going to build my church. This is what Jesus said in this conversation over 2,000 years ago. He says, I'm going to build my church. The word church is the word ecclesia, and you can forget that, but all that means is an assembly of people. That's what the church is. The church is an assembly of people. And so what does Jesus say about this assembly of people? He says, I'm going to build, I'm going to gather a community of followers. And what else does he say about the church, this community, this assembly of people? He says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the word Hades, some of your translations uh, say hell. Uh, the accurate word is actually death. It's kind of the idea of Hades, like the underworld. And so... Caesarea Philippi, because this was a place of pagan worship, it was commonly known as the gates of Hades, the gates of death. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus takes his disciples uh, to the most uh, evilest, the darkest place uh, imaginable, and he says, okay, guys, here's the plan. I am the Messiah, and I am the Christ, the anointed one. I am sent from God the Father uh, to redeem all of humanity, all of mankind, and uh, my strategy is the church, and the gates of death, the gates of Hades, will not stand against it. And the thing about this is you see the word gate, and it almost kind of sounds a little bit passive, and you almost kind of, if you put your thinking cap on for a second, think about a gate for a second. What does a gate do? A gate is a defensive structure, if you think of like a fortress with the city gate, a gate is so that an enemy, you know, you want a strong gate so that an enemy cannot storm the gates and ram through the gates. I think the point that Jesus is making here is actually pretty simple. Jesus is saying this, the point that he's getting at is that the church is on offense and that Satan and death is actually on defense. And so when you, when you read this, who's knocking on whose door here? It's the church of Jesus Christ that Jesus said is going to storm the gates of death. It's going to storm the gates of Hades. The point that Jesus is getting at is simple. He says that the church is God's vehicle to take people from a place of death to a place of life in Christ. That's what the strategy is here. His strategy against the world's greatest evils, against all the injustice, against all the evil, against all the pain, against all the suffering is the church. Jesus says, that's my strategy. And if we boil it down even further, I think if, if we boil this down to the irreducible minimum, here's what I really believe God is trying to tell us in this passage. Here it is. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Not politics, not Hollywood, not Wall Street. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. God's strategy, God's offensive strategy against the gates of death, against the gates of Hades, is the church of Jesus Christ. That's God's strategy. The church is the hope of the world. And i got to be honest, I think a lot of times, as the church, and myself included, I think sometimes we can get this backwards. I think sometimes we could think that we're the one on defense, that we're the ones trying to hold off the evils and the enemies of this world instead of being 
God's offensive strategy, ramming the gates of Hades, ramming the gates of death. And sometimes I think, unfortunately, the church, we can have a fortress mentality where we're almost kind of like the isolated church that we talked about earlier. We're almost kind of like, you know, like Ned Flanders. The church kind of gets mocked by the media, right? And they make fun of the church and Christians and say that they're almost kind of like has this fortress mentality trying to block off the evils of this world. And so sometimes I think the church has an identity problem. And uh, allow me to try to illustrate by sharing a personal story. So I think when I was, you know, in first grade, um, about six or seven years old, I think I had an identity problem. One summer, I think I, you know, would get dropped off at one of my aunt's house, uh, and she would watch me and my cousins. And every time my parents would go to pick me up, I would always have a bunch of scratches on my face. I'd always have a bunch of scratches on my neck and on my back. And, and they would be like, what is going on? Like, where, why do you have all these scratches on you? And it started to happen a little bit more and a little bit more until one day they were like, all right, listen, kid, like, why do you have all these scratches on you? And I just told him, like, well, you know, my little cousin, he just, he's a scratcher, you know, and he just, he just scratches me all the time. And uh, I don't know, I guess I was kind of a sensitive kid when I was <laughs> six years old. And, uh, but they were like, all right, dude, well, have you looked in the mirror lately? You're like five times his size. You don't have to put up with that. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I guess I don't. And so the next time I got dropped off at my aunt's house and my cousin came up to scratch me, I just pushed him off of me. And I was just like, I don't have to put up with that. And see, I had an identity problem. Like, I didn't realize, like, oh, I just, I'm in like five times the size. <laughs> I, I, I share that with you because I think that sometimes the church has an identity problem. And we almost kind of need somebody to kind of tell us, hey, do you know who you are? If, if you're a follower of Christ, we almost kind of need somebody to say, do you know who you are? Have you looked at the scriptures? Do you know what Matthew 16 says? That if, if you are the church of Jesus Christ, uh, you are called to storm the gates of death. You're called to storm the gates of Hades. They, they cannot stand against you. The church is God's offensive strategy. And see, sometimes I think we kind of get this a little bit backwards. You know, I experienced this power uh, firsthand in my own life. Um, I kind of like to joke around a little bit and say that when, when I grew up going to church, I had a drug problem. Uh, my parents drugged me to church. And uh, as I got older, though, you know, I, I left the church and, uh, you know, it made a lot of bad decisions. And uh, some of you know my story. I've shared it here a couple times. But, you know, I just made a lot of bad decisions. And I, you know, got really bad into partying a lot and got into drugs. And, you know, and that's, you know, it's part of who I am. It's part of my story. But I got to a place of desperation where, you know, I didn't, I didn't see hope in my life. And uh, I had a friend from high school that haven't talked to this person in a long time, but they invited me out to a, a college gathering at our Bath campus. And I, I remember going there, and I, I remember even just sitting in the car, uh, you know, minutes before the gathering started, just kind of thinking to myself and just feeling like, man, surely the church is not going to be the place that a guy like me with a story like this and with the stuff I'm going through, this is going to be the last place that I'm going to find acceptance. Like, this is going to be the last place where somebody looks at a guy like me and they're like, yeah, man, you got a place here. But I got to tell you guys, when I went into that gathering, I, I couldn't be further wrong. I couldn't be further from the truth because I, instead of people, you know, you know, uh, 
the defensive structure, right? That instead of them pushing away, instead of them, you know, you know, being scared of a guy like me and a story that I have, you know, uh, it was the opposite. They embraced me and they moved toward me and uh, they wanted to support me and they wanted to get to know me and they wanted to pray for me. And uh, a couple people mentored me, you know, and, and that year I moved in with a couple guys and I would give my life to Jesus, you know, and, and, and I was able to realize that, uh, you know, there is hope, you know, the church is the hope of the world, right? I, I was able to see that in my own life, and I was able to find hope in Jesus uh, because of the church. And so I'm, I'm a firm believer uh, in the church, and I know that this, this is possible. And I would say in light of all that, if, if you are part of the church, uh, there's a question that, that we got to ask ourselves um, when, when we look at this statement, uh, the church is the hope of the world, uh, if we're able to download the reality, uh, the, the identity of, of, of what the church is, who we are called to be, who we're, who we're commissioned to be uh, to this world, uh, in light of this, what does this mean? Uh, what should we do? How does this principle that church is the hope of the world uh, intersect with our lives and our day-to-day? What does this look like tomorrow morning when we show up at the office or when we go back to school? What does this look like around the dinner table? Let me try to give you a couple of suggestions. I would say uh, for those of us that claim to be followers of Christ, it, it really comes back to that one question. And the question is this. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? Have you read the scriptures? Have you read, pressed your mind down on Matthew 16? Have you been able to reach that biblical conviction that you are God's offensive strategy, that you are the hope of the world, that God wants to use you to reach the people within your sphere, to, to, point, to point these people to Jesus? Have you come to that conclusion? Do you know who you are? When you read the New Testament, there's no such thing as a defensive uh, posture of the church. The church is always moving towards the evils of this world. When you read Paul's letters to Timothy, he doesn't say, hide, Timothy, find shelter. He doesn't say that. He says, fight the good fight. That's what he tells him. He says, fight the good fight. The church is the hope of the world. And so I just want to ask you, as a fellow learner and a fellow sinner, a fellow church guy, I guess, you know, have you been able to reach that conclusion yourself? Because i got to be honest with you. For the past week or two, that question has really just been tearing me up. Do you know who you are? I think it means at the office, you are the hope of the world. I think it means that you are God's offensive strategy to reach your coworker, to reach your coworker who's lost and who is hurting. I think that's what that means for us as the church of Jesus Christ. I think it means that with your family members and with your friends, you are the hope of the world. That you may be the only Jesus that they ever get to see. I think that's what that means. I think it means that you're God's offensive strategy to reach your family members or your friends who don't know Christ. I think that's what this passage is telling us. I think it means throughout your community and the world, you are the hope. It means you are God's offensive strategy to reach people. And you know, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, Jesus, he defeated death. Jesus defeated death. He put death to death, I guess you could say, by going to the cross, by resurrecting, by raising to life. Paul says in Corinthians that 
Oh, oh victory, uh, he says, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? We know because of the cross, because of Jesus raising to life, that the confidence that the church of Jesus Christ stands on, it's not like we're the ones that are rescuing people. It's, it's that we are God's offensive strategy to point people to the one who defeated death, who defeated Satan, who defeated the gates of Hades once and for all. And so I think there's another question, though. Uh, so maybe some of you are sitting here and you're like, okay, well, I'm not really sure where I'm at with Jesus. I'm not really sure where I stand uh, with this whole church thing. I mean, I just, I just came here today because somebody invited me here, you know, or I've just been trying to figure out, you know, what I think about all this stuff. I'm still trying to get my footing a little bit. Maybe the question that you got to press your mind down on is the same question that Jesus asked his disciples over 2,000 years ago. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Well, the media says this, Jesus. Well, the culture says this. Well, the news and, you know, videos say this. I think Jesus would say, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And I think the way that you answer that question is going to have really profound implications. And so I would encourage you to, to really wrestle that question to the ground. And if you have any questions about that or if you have any, you know, you know how do I do that? You know, if, if, if you come to the place where you say, you know what, I think Jesus really is the hope of the world. I think, I think he really is the builder of his church. You know, I think he's the savior. If you would let us know on that connect card, you know, I, myself or somebody on our staff, we'd love to reach out to you and, and sit down, have some coffee and talk about what that looks like in your life. We would love to do that with you. But I just want to uh, kind of wrap up here. I want to invite the band to come up, but uh, you might be sitting here thinking, I still have a lot of questions. And if, if that's where you're at, that's good. I want to encourage you to, to lock in with this series, Unstoppable. I want to invite you to, to lock in with us. Come back next week, because we're going to start to peel the layers back of this idea of unstoppable. So I want to encourage you to do that. And uh, the band, they're going to play a song called The Lost Are Found. And I think this is a, just a great way to punctuate uh, everything that we've been saying here this morning. The church is the hope of the world, right? The church is this worldwide movement, this unstoppable movement, this unstoppable church that, that began with a promise that Jesus Christ made over 2,000 years ago. I love the words of the song. It says, the lost are found, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will live, and you are God forever, you will reign. And even if you're not a person that likes to sing, maybe you can just kind of meditate on that and use this this time as a, as a way to kind of, the band will create space for us to kind of reflect on that. So guys, let's just try to imagine what this could look like if, if, if those of us that are followers of Christ, if we're able to, to grab a hold of this identity of the church, to be a part of this unstoppable movement. Imagine what this could do in our community. Imagine the lives that could be impacted because of this. If we are able to grab a hold of the reality that the church is the hope of the world, that that's our true identity, that God wants to use the church as his offensive strategy to reach people within your sphere, within this world. And, and imagine the hope that we as a congregation could generate. Even this week, if we were to, to, to meditate on that, to grab a hold of that, 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 that you are the plan, that we are God's strategy, right? Because of what Jesus did, because he put death to death once and for all. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for 
the promise that you made, Lord, that you were gonna, you're going to build your church and that not even the, the gates of Hades, the gates of death, can stand against it, Lord. God, I know that, um, you know, this could be overwhelming, Lord, to be sitting here and thinking, like, wow, I'm the hope of the world. Like, that's a, that's a tall order, you know. Um, but, Lord, I'm just so thankful that the confidence that we gain from that is, is nothing in our own doing, nothing in our own human striving or our own performance, God. It's, we stand on the confidence that, that you defeated death, God. Uh, you defeated death by sending your one son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a death we couldn't die, and to raise to life, Lord. Uh, Father, help us, those that are here, you know, wrestling with these questions, God. Do we know who we are? Who do we say that you are? Give us clarity in this, God. Um, I pray that uh, throughout this series, God, that you would just make that more and more clear to us, uh, where, where our role fits in all this, God, and, and, and who you are and the love that you have for your people. I just want to ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.